following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Well, we are in a series uh, called The Sermon on the Mount, and this is tracking through uh, the greatest sermon ever preached. It certainly wasn't one of mine. But this was a sermon that Jesus preached, and it takes us through three chapters of the Bible, Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. And we're just working our way. We're really taking our time with this this year. In fact, those of you that have been through the series, you know we spent the first eight or nine weeks just on those things called the Beatitudes at the very beginning of the sermon. And and then just taking a little piece by piece. And what Jesus is doing in this sermon, just to keep us coming back to this, is he's inviting us to step out of the crowd. There was a big crowd listening to this, a lot of people. But at the front of the crowd... There were the disciples, and really the sermon is addressed to them. Jesus is speaking to the crowd in one sense, but he's really teaching the disciples. The crowd's listening, but the disciples are really receiving. And this whole sermon is an invitation to you to move out of the crowd just from being a spectator or just a passive bystander to becoming a disciple, becoming an apprentice, a follower, truly a follower of Jesus. Uh, so we're, we're hearing some challenging things through the sermon. There's going to be some more challenging things coming this morning. In fact, I think this is one of the most challenging passages in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5, if you've got a Bible or the Bible on your device, pull it out. Caleb Brooks is going to come and read this passage for us this morning. Thank you, Caleb. Uh, Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Thank you, Caleb. Okay. One of those uh, feelings that we love to have that we kind of feel guilty about, one of those experiences that we really love but we'd never want to admit to anyone else that we really love it because we know it's not really a good thing but we really secretly love to feel it, is the feeling of sweet revenge. Sweet revenge. You know what I'm talking about, right? Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not the only one. Don't leave me hanging here. Sweet revenge. When someone does something uh, that does you wrong, that offends you, someone's harming you, or just someone just gets up to no good, and, and, and when you see that person being taken down, when you see the score being settled, when you see that person getting what's coming to them, you, there's just no sweeter feeling. There's just true satisfaction. The feeling of sweet revenge. Let me give you just a couple of pictures that show you sweet revenge in action. Go to the first picture there, Dale. So here's a bus driver taking sweet revenge. Someone's, someone's parked not so well there, and that bus driver knew exactly where to put that bus to bring about sweet revenge. And then here's, here's, a, here's a favorite of mine. So a series of folders, computer folders here, and here's the names of them. Dear sister, 
as revenge for stealing my $20, I have hidden your project in one of these folders. And guess what? All of these folders have three subfolders. This should teach you not to steal from me, so have fun trying to find your project. If there's a lesson to be learned here, it's don't steal from your big brother with warm regards and hateful loathing and vengeance. Your loving brother. So you might want to try that if you've got a sibling. These are kind of like fun, everyday examples of revenge. You might have had your own situations. And these sort of things, they're a pain, but ultimately they're pretty harmless. But the thing with revenge is it can escalate, right? And we know like there's one, it's one thing for, between two people to have a little bit of sweet revenge. It's another thing when this escalates and then it becomes between families or it becomes between communities, neighborhoods, uh, even between nations and one of the major forces that fuels so much conflict in our world are the forces of revenge and retaliation and retribution, which continue to claim so many lives and lead to so much violence. I saw it in 2014 when I went to Israel. A group of us went to Israel. And we, we went there at a time of heightened conflict. There's always conflict there, but heightened conflict between Israel and Hamas, which is a, a terrorist organization really based in Gaza. And you just see the way Hamas would fire some rockets into Israel and Israel would send in the army and make some incursions. And so Hamas would fire back some more rockets. And so the Israeli army would send some planes over and drop some bombs. And so they'd fire some more rockets on and on and on it goes. Every act was seemingly justified as an act of retaliation for what had been done. It was just retaliation for retaliation for retaliation for retaliation. And there's a cycle of revenge that's been going on for hundreds of years, just on and on and on. So these are major forces in our world. These are destructive forces. And we can have a laugh at a, at a personal level about revenge, but it's a big human problem. And Jesus is speaking into this desire that we have, a deep desire as human beings for revenge. It's really the three R's, revenge, retaliation, retribution. They are lodged so deeply in the human psyche. We feel such a sense of injustice without them. It was just as true in Jesus' day as it is today. And so Jesus speaks into this proclivity we have for retaliation, and he helps us see and reframe what all this looks like as followers of Jesus. So let's dive into this passage, look at a few more details of what he says. So Matthew 5, 38, Jesus begins, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Now, what Jesus is doing here is, as he has done so often in the Sermon on the Mount, he is quoting from the Old Testament. And I want to just take you back briefly to give you the context of where this quote comes from. Jesus is quoting from the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 21. Verse 23 to 25, Exodus 21 says this, But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? I mean, this is Israel's law, and we hear those words, and it sounds to us incredibly barbaric. This is, sounds like a bunch of savages here. You know, you take someone's hand, you're going to lose a hand. You take someone's eye, they're going to gouge out your eye. This just sounds incredibly primitive. But what we need to understand, especially us in the 21st century, is that this law 
originally was not designed to promote violence. It was designed to limit violence. Because in ancient cultures, if someone in your village goes to another village and kills someone in that village, that person, the offender, is going to find that the the victim's family is going to get that whole village together, maybe their whole tribe. And they're going to come and they're going to burn down the entire village of the offender. And they're going to try and wipe out as many people as they can. For one life, they would try and take 20 lives, 30 lives, 40 lives, 50 lives. It was a huge cycle of violence. And often what happened is people took revenge way out of all proportion to the crime that was actually committed. These were... These were barbaric cultures often. They were bloodthirsty cultures. They were constantly at war with each other. And so violence was just a way of life. So God comes along and gives Israel this law which says you can't go beyond eye for eye. You can only take an eye. If someone takes an eye, you can't go and chop off the head. If someone bruises you, you can't then go and kill their family. The punishment has to be in proportion to the crime. Now, this is what later historians have called the law of lex talionis. It's a Latin phrase, and it sounds a bit weird. It sounds like a Spider-Man villain. But it's, what it means is equivalent punishment. The law of equivalent punishment. The punishment has to be proportionate to the crime. It can't be more than the crime. And for the Israelites, the punishment also had to be of the same kind. It wasn't just pay me five shekels. It was eye for eye, tooth for tooth, burn for burn, bruise for bruise. But what I want you to see is the whole point of that law was not to make Israel a more barbaric nation than their neighbors. It was to make them a more humane nation than their neighbors. We look at this through our modern sensibilities, and it seems crazy. But in the context of ancient warfare, This was a lot more humane than what was going on in a lot of other cultures. So the eye for eye law, it had a limiting effect. The law of lex talionis, the punishment must be equivalent and proportionate to the offense, to the crime. Now then, Jesus comes along, and what does he say about the law of lex talionis? In Matthew 5, 39, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. The word resist, it just means to stand against, to oppose in some way. It's the same word in the New Testament that tells us that we should resist the devil. That word's used, that we should resist the devil. It's the same word that's used to tell us we should resist temptation. You must resist temptation. You should stand against temptation. So it's surprising that when Jesus comes to talk about an evil person, he says, but do not resist the evil person. Do not resist the evildoer. And in the context of what he's saying here, what he means is do not take revenge upon someone who wrongs you. That's really the bottom line. Jesus is saying here, if you want to be one of my followers, Jesus as if he was speaking, then you've got to lay down your right to the three R's, revenge, retaliation, and retribution. And Jesus would say, I know that feels incredibly unjust. 
I know that when you are injured or someone in your family is hurt and you are wronged and you are grieved and you are offended, every single fiber of your being wants the three R's. You want revenge, you want retaliation, and you feel a lack of justice when it's not done. But Jesus says, if you want to move from the crowd to become one of my disciples, there is an act of surrender that is going to have to happen here, and it is laying down the right you think you have to take revenge upon that person. It is going to require you to lay down the right you think you have to seek some form of retaliation towards that person. It is going to be you laying down the right you think you have to take retribution into your own hands. It's a challenging teaching. It's hard, right? I mean, I can imagine at this point, some people in the crowd Jesus was talking to, standing up, walking away. Because it's like, what is this rabbi on about? You know, I mean, this is tough. Well, Jesus, we, we, we were with you when you were just doing the Beatitudes. You know, we love the poor in spirit stuff. We love blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek. That's, that's fantastic. But Jesus, why would you have to go and say this? All this stuff. You know, don't, don't resist an evil person. You're telling me no revenge, no retribution, no recourse when I'm offended? For some people, that would have been too hard. I think for some of us, it's too hard. But this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of discipleship. And we need to understand why Jesus says what he says. And to understand the why, we've got to back up a little bit, come back to chapter 5 of Matthew, and look at a verse that we touched on earlier in the series, Matthew 5, 17, where Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So that this framed... Uh, a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus has not come to abolish these laws. He hasn't come to destroy the old laws. But what has he done? He's come to fulfill them. Now, the law of Lex Talionis is a great case study of the way that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. It's easy to read these words and assume, well, Jesus is doing away with the eye for eye stuff. Like he's getting rid of the tooth for tooth. So that sounds like he's abolished it, but he hasn't. What he's done is he has fulfilled it. This is where it gets so good. The law of lex talionis applies not only to human relationships with one another, but also to your relationship with God. Now, we can't injure God in the same way. We can't wound God in the same way. We can certainly grieve God. You can grieve the heart of God. We can offend God. We can transgress God. We can break God's law, right? And we do. We sin all the time. And when we sin, our sin incurs a debt before God. This is what Romans 3.23 says. The wages of sin is death. What your sin, we, we sometimes think sin's just not that big a deal. It's just this thing that I do and then God forgives me. But the Bible says when we sin, the wages, what our sin accrues in God's eyes is death. That is the law of lex talionis. That's equivalent punishment. What your sin deserves, the debt that you've incurred, is death. And then Jesus comes along, and he, everything Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is said in view of the cross, right? Jesus knew where this was going. So even though this is early in his ministry, he, every, the whole ministry of Jesus, the whole life of Jesus, is all lived in the shadow of the cross. It's all where, that's where he's heading. And so Jesus knew the time was going to come when he would hang on that cross, and on the cross, he would take the equivalent punishment for your sin. So yes, the law of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, bruise for bruise, it still stands. But guess who took the bruise? Jesus did. 
He took, this is what Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him by His wounds, His bruising, His stripes. We are healed. On the cross, Jesus fulfilled the law of lex talionis. He took the punishment that you deserved, and He dealt with justice on the cross. That's why you don't have to worry when you feel an injustice when people get away with bad stuff. That's why when you feel like, but I, I really, wait, there's a score here that needs to be settled. And you feel like, man, that person needs to get what's coming to them. Man, that person needs to be taught a lesson. Man, that person needs to be put in place. You know what you do in those moments? You go to the cross. And you think, on that cross, God dealt with justice. On the cross, that was paid. Any debt, I think, they've got against me, Jesus dealt with that debt on the cross. He paid for everything that we have done and everything that has been done to us on the cross. It was done. So even though you have a sense of injustice because but that person's getting away with it and they're not going to be taught a lesson and they're just going to go and do it to someone else, you can leave justice with God. He has fulfilled it. It was taken care of on Calvary. And that's why Jesus can turn to you now and say, you walk a different path. You don't need to worry about justice. You leave that in God's hands. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He'll take it. There'll be a day of reckoning. But you walk in the way of love. You walk in the way of forgiveness. You walk in the way of non-retaliation and lay down your right to vengeance and your right to violence and your right to retribution. Now, let me make one clarification here because I know this raises lots of questions about what about this, what about this scenario. I don't think that what Jesus is saying takes away the need at times for legal justice. You know, sometimes we think, well, does this mean like if we're not going to resist an evil person, if we're not going to ever get retribution, does that mean that, you know, someone could assault me and I don't have any recourse? Does that mean, you know, a builder could leave me hundreds of thousands of dollars out of pocket? I've never got any recourse against that situation. Jesus is not describing situations of legal justice. He's describing situations of personal ethics. So he's describing how we are to posture ourselves in relationship to one another. But that doesn't mean there won't be times when legal justice needs to take its course, right? Because we still live in a world that's governed by laws, and there are still crimes committed, and those crimes have consequences, and legal processes need to take place. And it means that you may find yourself in the middle of a legal conflict and wondering how you're going to live out the Sermon on the Mount when you've got litigation with someone who you know. And I think there are a couple of things you can do to check yourself in that situation. One is to ask yourself, am I engaging in this legal process just to be petty, just out of revenge, to settle a score? Am I just doing this for personal reasons? Am I just doing this to a sense of retaliation? just to kind of get some comeback here? Or is there a genuine legal infraction that needs to be dealt with? And if there is, okay, natural laws are broken, natural consequences kick in. Even in the midst of a legal conflict, even in the middle of litigation, I would say you can still, here's a tension to hold, you can still be in the middle of a legal conflict with someone and still show love and dignity and compassion to them as a human being. Is that possible? Could you hold that tension? That you could be in a courtroom opposing someone else because natural justice needs to be served and still treat them humanely and not be derogatory 
unkind, demeaning, cruel, and self-serving. So yes, there's a time when legal justice needs to be done. What Jesus is saying is that doesn't mean that we take retribution into our own hands personally. It doesn't mean we become personally attacking and offensive. It doesn't mean we become disproportionate. And it doesn't mean that we become cruel. We can maintain a spirit of love even when justice, natural justice, is being done. So let's think about how this looks and how this works out in everyday life. Jesus gives us a few examples here. And I want to just walk through these with you. These were kind of everyday first century examples. They need a little bit of contextualizing for us to be able to understand them. But let's see. So verse 39, Jesus says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. So you know this, right? This is where we get that common phrase, turn the other cheek. Now, I'd like to demonstrate this. So I need, uh, I need a couple of volunteers. And what I'd like is a couple of volunteers from youth. Because I'd like to reenact something here that I believe happened at youth camp. Uh, is anyone keen? Brad, do you want to nominate one or two people just while I get ready here? Um, ideally, the most reluctant people. And I'll give you a clue, it's going to involve some tortillas. All right, no, Noah, you're coming up. All right, Nate. Yep, okay, come on up, you guys. Yeah, give me a hand, give me a hand. Okay, so take a tortilla each, guys. Okay, and we're going to just have a little uh, tortilla face slap here. Okay, just, just to demonstrate what Jesus was talking about, okay? No, you, 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 can, have, you can have one turn each. Yeah, we're, not, we're not going to turn the other cheek just yet. Okay. All right, so what I want you to do, Noah, is slap Nate with this tortilla, but it has to be, because Jesus said, it has to be the right cheek, okay? So see if you can slap him on the right cheek. Okay. Whoa! That's brutal. That's brutal. Okay. Yeah, you could eat it. All right, you okay? All right, holding up. Okay. <clears throat> now, did you notice that was a slap to the right cheek, but which hand did Noah use? Left hand, all right? Because you sort of assume that left hand, if it's going to be right cheek, left hand. But most people in Jesus' day, and, and the way Jesus would have been talking would have been, there's an assumption that we're talking about right-handed people, all right? That was just the way people talked. So if you were going to slap, now this is your turn, Nate. If you're going to slap Noah on the right cheek, but you have to use your right hand, so what kind of slaps are it going to be? Here we go. He's got it already. Yeah, go, go, go. Oh! Oh, jeez. That is the kind of slap Jesus was talking about. God bless you both. Let's give these guys a hand. Fantastic. Great. Well done, volunteers. Uh, I'll take that. that. That can be my lunch. Thanks. All right. I wasn't sure how that was going to go. It's a bit of a health and safety issue. So... The kind of slap that we are talking about is not the front slap to the face, but it's right hand to right cheek, which means it was the backhanded slap. Hopefully that image stays in your mind. The backhanded slap. And the backhanded slap was considered to be twice as bad as the Ford's slap. In fact, this is true. I can prove it to you from the rabbis. They talked about this. Uh, ancient rabbi said, if someone slaps another person, he must pay 200 zuzim. But if it was backhanded, he must pay 400 zuzim. You see? It's twice as bad. It's going to be twice as expensive 
for you if you do the backhanded slap. So what Jesus was getting at here, joking aside, is that the backhanded slap, it wasn't just the physical act of slapping someone. It was humiliating. It was this act of shaming. Like This is a real honor-shame culture. So it was this act of, of totally demeaning another person to slap them backhandedly on the face. And I think that helps us apply this to our lives because we tend to only think of situations where we might be physically hit or slapped, right? Well, that's one scenario, but there's much more to it when you think of contexts where you could be shamed or humiliated or offended. Those are the kind of situations that Jesus is describing. And we know this because we've still got that saying, you know, it's a slap in the face, right? That was just a slap in the face. Your neighbors could do something to you. That's a slap in the face. They might not hit you, but they you know, something they block your view, they do they park in your driveway, whatever. Something really like that's just a slap in the face. Someone at school does something to you. That's just you get excluded. You get ignored. That's a slap in the face. People at work, it's a slap in the face. Someone takes credit for something you know you did. People freeloading on a lot of your hard work, that's a slap in the face. This happens to us a lot of the time. And so what Jesus is saying is when that slap in the face comes along, we are called to respond in the opposite spirit. This is the principle of the opposite spirit. That where there is hostility, we are to respond with love. Where there is anger, we respond with peace. Where there is unkind behavior, we respond with kindness. And sometimes what it means, most of the time what it means is you don't respond at all. Like that's often what is called for in these situations. Rather than just shooting something back, rather than just firing a couple of bullets back and just going to say something unkind because in the moment, man, that just gets me. I'm just going to put them in their place. It's holding your tongue. Just take a breath, hold your tongue. It is not saying anything. Sometimes it's walking away. And it's also not doing the Kiwi passive aggressive slap the other cheek, which is go and talk to 10 other people about that person, right? That's what we're experts at. Yeah, I'm not going to confront this person directly. Don't worry, I'm not going to slap them back. I'm just going to go and talk to my friends about them and just, you know, put, don't do it. Don't go and find three other people and tell all sorts of stories and run them down. That is just as bad. Even in your mind, it's easy to completely crucify those people who offend us. Even then, remember, Jesus is interested in your heart. Even then, he said, have a pure heart before God. Even there, even in your heart, Turn the other cheek. Don't find the passive-aggressive ways to get back. Don't go and post stuff online about them because, well, Jesus didn't say anything about Instagram. You know, I'm sure that's okay. No, listen, even that, don't get back. Don't take revenge. Don't settle the score any possible way. Hold your tongue. Walk away. Lay down your right to revenge. This is what Jesus has done for you. This is what you've got to keep coming back to. First Peter says, when he suffered, he made no threats. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That's what Jesus did. He entrusted himself. So you can too. Yes, it'll leave you with a sense of injustice because yeah, they got away with it. But you entrust your life to Jesus. You say, Jesus, I trust justice was done on the cross. I don't have to worry about that. I can have mercy. I can have compassion because you've had compassion on me. All right, next example, Jesus says in verse 40, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Similar to what he says in verse 42, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. The coat that Jesus is talking about here, this was particularly for men. The coat was the most expensive and the most important garment that men would own. It was really a robe that went right down to the ground. It was uh, an important source of warmth. 
It helped them present themselves well to others. It could even be used as a blanket. The robe was an incredibly important item. There's even a law in the Old Testament about not borrowing someone's robe for too long because it was so valuable. And yet Jesus comes along and says, but hey, if someone wants to sue you and take the shirt off your back, give them the coat. That's radical stuff. That makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? It's radical generosity. That's what he's talking about. Unexpected generosity. Reminds me of that scene in Les Miserables. Have you seen that? Seen the show or watched the movie? Uh, the, the scene with uh, Jean Valjean, who comes to the home of the priest and his wife. And they offer him incredible hospitality, but he totally takes advantage of them and steals all of their silverware. He takes off into the night, and the police catch up with him, and they haul him back to the home of the priest. But the priest says, no, 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 he's, he's fine. I wanted him to have the silverware. And in fact, hang on, hang on, let me just go and get the candlesticks too. He did, you didn't take those, you forgot, you forgot the candlesticks. He goes and gets the candlesticks and gives them to Jean Valjean and sends them away. Just this incredible act of kindness, incredible act of the opposite spirit, incredible act of unexpected generosity. Now, I know we've got to use a lot of wisdom in applying this stuff. I know you've got a lot of, well, what if this and what if that? I'm not saying if someone steals your TV, you should run after them with your laptop. Hey, forgot my laptop. Take this too, please. It's on lamers. No, don't do that. You've got to use discernment. Again, yes, there is a time for natural justice. And there is a time acts have consequences. But in our everyday relationships, I think we're not in danger of being too generous, are we? We're in danger of being not generous enough. And we can afford a little more generosity, even some unexpected acts of generosity, even towards people who give us a hard time and make life difficult for us. It's challenging, but it's the way of Jesus. Final example Jesus gives. He says in verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile with them, go two miles. Now, this was, again, we get the saying, go the extra mile from here. There are a number of common sayings in English that come from this passage. But the specific reference that Jesus is, is talking about here is more specific than that. There was a law meaning that a Roman soldier in the first century could conscript a citizen to carry his pack for one mile equivalent of one mile. And so you could just be going about your business on a given day. You're just on your way to work. And a Roman soldier comes along and says, hey, I want you to carry my pack. And guess what? I'm going the opposite direction. So you're going to have to come with me. All of a sudden, you're you know, a mile away from where you were. And you've had to do the bidding of this Roman soldier. And the Jews hated the Romans. It wasn't just anyone asking them to carry a pack. These Romans, these were these filthy dogs who had come and oppressed us and taken our land. And these guys had the right to tell us that we had to carry their pack. So the Jews, everybody, would do this under great duress. And yet Jesus comes along and says, hey, if one of those soldiers wants you to carry his pack, don't just do one mile. How about two? Man, just, can't you just imagine more people at this stage leaving the crowd? Like by the time Jesus is finished with this passage, he's probably got five people left in front of him. This is too hard, Jesus. What are you talking about? Like an extra mile? And I don't think Jesus was meaning just go that mile begrudgingly. And then when you get to exactly the two mile mark, dump the pack on the ground, break what's inside it, drop a few expletives and take off. I don't think that's what he meant either. I think the spirit of what he's saying is maybe two miles, 
maybe even three, maybe even four. It's the spirit of going the extra mile to go above, to go beyond what is being asked of us, even when the people who are asking it are making life really, really difficult. Now, again, I know this is hard, and we've got to use wisdom, and yes, there's justice, all of that. But listen, are there situations in your life where maybe you could go another mile for someone? Maybe there's people, maybe it's a family member or a friend who's really leaning hard on you, who really demands a lot of you, who really needs a lot from you, and who makes these demands really without much thought to what it costs you. Is there someone who's constantly asking and asking and asking and asking? And you feel like, what, you're not giving anything back. And maybe it's been a difficult relationship with that person and you think, man, if, if I'd received a bit of love from you over the years, I'd be much more inclined to be able to give back to you now. But the way you've treated me doesn't really want to make me help you. It's so helpful in those times to remember the way that God has treated us. That we were the ones who showed absolutely no interest in God for so many years. We were the ones who walked away from God. We were the ones who had no interest, no desire to follow him at all. And yet, what did he do? He stuck with us. What did Jesus do? He walked the extra mile to Calvary. That's what he's done. He took a cross, not a Roman soldier's pack. He carried a cross and he walked the mile to Calvary for you, even when you didn't deserve it, even when you were dead in your sins and transgressions and wanted nothing to do with him. And so now he says to you, out of all I've done for you, and out of the abundant love that I've shown to you, could you find it in yourself, find it in the Spirit, to walk another mile for someone in your life? I know they don't deserve it. I know they're making life hard for you, but could you, could you surprise them with some generosity this week? Could you surprise them with a little unexpected act of kindness? Not just exactly what you think they deserve, but what Jesus has done for you and what he's shown to you. That's the spirit of Jesus. That's the Sermon on the Mount. So all of this comes together to remind us that when we face people who make our lives difficult, we are called to lay down the three R's, revenge, retribution, retaliation. We're called to respond in the opposite spirit. We're called to pursue unexpected generosity, we are called to pursue going the extra mile. Let me finish with a story, and then we'll, then we'll close. There's a guy named Jared McKenna who uh, studied. He tells a story when he studied at the university, uh, a university in the U.S. And each day he'd take a train home from university. The train would drop him at a particular station. He'd walk over a bridge to get home. One day the train dropped him at his normal station, and he was walking over this bridge towards home, and he sensed somebody behind him, following him. It was getting dark, didn't know who it was, but he heard the footsteps getting closer and closer and closer. And by the time the gap had narrowed to just a couple of meters, the guy behind him yelled out, money. And Jared swung around and the guy was getting angry and said, give me your money, give me all your money now. And so Jared, totally flustered and shocked, started reaching into his pocket and started reaching for his wallet. But then he said, you know, I don't know what came over me, but in that moment, I decided to do something different. He said, rather than putting my hand in my pocket and getting my wallet out, he said, I put out my hand and said, hi, I'm Jared. And he said, the guy was so flummoxed, he didn't know what to do. So he put out his hand and said, hi, I'm James. <laughs> and they shook hands. And there was this awkward silence because this is not generally how muggings go. And so these guys are standing there, neither of them really then knowing what to do. 
And then James just starts telling his story, James the mugger. And he starts talking about how sorry he was that he was having to do this, how sorry he was that it had come to this, that he was on drugs and he tried to you know, go back and live at home and his mum had kicked him out again and now he was back on the streets and life was terrible and he started pouring out his story to Jared. Jared's wondering what he's going to say and what, how he's going to respond to all this. And as he was wondering what to do, another woman runs along, runs past both of them, and she was a woman known to James the mugger. She was an accomplice. She'd been back at the train station and had pinched someone's handbag. She was running past both of them and as she passed them, she yelled out, go, 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 let's go, let's go, James. So James starts running off after this woman, and Jared said, James, just wait, wait a second, just wait a second. And Jared reached into his backpack and pulled out a Bible, and he said, here you go, James, I want you to have this. It's got my name and my number in it. If you ever need me, give me a call. James was just so flustered. He didn't know what to do. Tears start forming in his eyes. He starts walking away after this woman, kind of turns back and waves his Bible knowingly at Jared. And then James runs off, and James and this woman get in this car at the end of the bridge with another person who was driving the getaway car. And in the distance, Jared could hear the woman as she got into the car say excitedly, I got a bag. And then he heard James say just as excitedly, I got a Bible. <laughs> True story. That's a great example of turn the other cheek. It's a dramatic example. Not many of us are going to be in that kind of position. But there's Jared finding a different way to respond to a situation somehow in a split-second decision, trying to find a space between flight and fright and finding a third way, a creative way, to show some humanity and show something of the love of Jesus. There is responding in the opposite spirit. There is unexpected generosity. There is going the extra mile and making himself available, offering friendship even to James. It's risky, I know. I know there's 10 reasons why that situation could have gone sideways. But this is the road that we are called to walk as followers of Jesus. And wouldn't it be amazing if the world knew us for some of this stuff? In a world that is so fueled by violence, retribution, and revenge, wouldn't it be amazing if the church, if Christians were known for something else? If we were known for, we're the people that are willing to go the extra mile. We're those people that do turn the other cheek even when it hurts. We're those people that give sacrificially, even to people who make life hard for us. We're the, we're the people who don't just meet evil with evil, but counter evil with love. Imagine if that was our witness. Imagine if that's, rather than all the stuff that we don't like and stand against and protest against, imagine if we were known for the stuff that we are for and the love that we show and seeking to show the compassion of Jesus to other people. I wonder if we showed that kind of love, maybe the world would be willing to listen a little bit more to the message that we have about our Savior. And so, may we thank God that He has fulfilled the law of lex talionis for us. He took the eye for the eye, so we don't have to. And may we set all that aside and be those who respond in love, and kindness, and unconditional compassion to those around us, including and especially those that we might find challenging, because that's how God loved us. Let's pray. Jesus, your word comes to us this morning as a real challenge. And it's so easy, God, I feel how easy it is just to kind of hear this and just let it slide off me because it feels 
too hard or it feels, I don't know, Lord, we can be glib about these things. But Jesus, would you today let your word be the double-edged sword that penetrates deep into our soul? Lord, would you let your words today be the sword that, that separates bone and marrow and judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts? God, would you bring to our minds now that person in our life who you're wanting us to respond to with love, the person who's making life hard right now for us, the person who's slapping us in the face, forcing us to carry a heavy pack, or demanding the shirt off our back. And Jesus, would you show us and teach us how you would respond to that person? And then would you give us all the strength of heaven, because we don't have it ourselves, to take that step, that step that you would take, Jesus, the smallest little step, but knowing that we do it following you and we do it in your strength and we do it in your grace. Jesus, it's a hard it's a hard road. It's a narrow road that you've called us to walk. But thank you, God, this is the road you've walked for us. So make us these kinds of people and make us this kind of church, we pray. For your name and for your glory. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.